Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Northwest. Really glad to see you guys here this morning. Is anybody enjoying the cooler weather this weekend? It was nice. It's not ideal for going to the pool. Like, you get right out of the pool and you're shivering, but I'm, I'm, it's a respite from that crazy heat. So, hey, once again, welcome to Vineyard Northwest. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. One of our just core beliefs here is that there's nothing we as humans need more than to experience the presence of God. And there's nothing really more valuable um, than his presence because it's his person, it's him. So we really hope that as you're here this morning, you encounter and experience his presence and that uh, you just join in with that because we believe it's something we need more than anything. So thanks for being here with us. We have a great morning ahead. If this is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Glad that you're here hanging out with us this Sunday morning. There's some coffee in the atrium. Feel free to bring that cup on in here. Enjoy it. Uh, there's also a little booth that we call the Connect booth where you can uh, get a touch point with just some of the volunteers here at this church. Find out more information as well as us get a little bit of your information if you want to give it. Just so we can know who's here and how we can uh, serve you guys. A couple announcements, two things I want to highlight that are coming up. If you grabbed a program as you came in, you can open that up right now. Or all this information is also on our Vineyard Northwest app. So that's a really handy thing to have uh, downloaded on your device. But the first thing I want to talk about is Healing Rooms. Healing Rooms is a ministry of Vineyard Northwest that happens the first Saturday of every month from 5.30 to 7.30. And we really just want to provide an atmosphere that's safe and low-key for people to come in and get individual healing prayer. This can be prayer for um, like emotions, um, just in general, a kind of direction. But especially physical healing is something we really feel like uh, we're to go after as a church and to press into and to pray for. Just a couple weeks at, at the last healing rooms or two healing rooms ago, um, one of our staff members, Dan, who had had a really bad fall uh, earlier this spring, he had broken his back, broken his leg, it was really um, bad shape. He's made an, am- an amazing recovery. He's actually here this morning. But he had some blood clots in his leg. And, and you know that blood clots can lead to so many serious complications. Well, he came in on a Saturday evening, got prayer, for those, um, for those blood clots to, to leave, disappear, whatever. We just prayed, Jesus, heal this. And on Tuesday, when he went to the doctor, they couldn't find any of those blood clots anymore. They were all gone. So we're really seeing God move in powerful ways in these healing room times. I'd really encourage you, if you have a loved one or a friend, this isn't a spooky, weird like environment. There's no incense. There's no chanting, anything like that. If you bring them in, they're not going to feel totally creeped out, but it's a really good exposure for them to experience God's presence and experience healing. So next Saturday from 5.30 to 7.30, no registration required, but there is more information on the website. Second thing I want to highlight, on September 16th, we're starting uh, two fall classes, SOCOM, which is a School of Kingdom Ministry, and our Prophetic 2 class. Prophetic 1 will start um, the week before, during the actual week. But right now, just for a second, I want to highlight School of Kingdom Ministry. School of Kingdom Ministry is a class we've done here for the past four years. We've graduated around 170 students from it. It's a nine-month class. So, like, that's a, that's a really big commitment. I'm not going to lowball this and say that you can just tag this onto your life. It's something that you should really be feeling like God is saying to do. But it's also something we really hope and would like every person that calls Vineyard Northwest home or that is tying in with the vision and mission of this church to go through. The class is really broken broken down into two components. First component is teaching. So every week there's at least an hour-long teaching by this phenomenal teacher named Putty Putman. Um, And we go through all kinds of subjects, really starting with identity and learning more about what the gospel means. What all did Jesus accomplish at the cross? What does that mean for us and who we are and how we should think about ourselves? And then we go into a bunch of different topics all, all around kingdom ministry. The second component of the class is activation. 
So it's not just about coming and filling your head with knowledge. It's actually getting your hands dirty and practicing and actually in a safe environment with other people who are maybe newer or, or learning about spiritual gifts to actually learn how to give a prophetic word, to learn how to pray for healing, to learn how to minister God's presence. So it's a really um, amazing environment to not only learn, but to really get equipped to take the kingdom outside of just the church and into every aspect of your life, which is totally what we feel like we're called to do. And something that at this church in particular, we feel like is a mission for our church is to raise up Christians that are equipped to uh, bring the kingdom of God into everyday life. So really encourage you to think about that. There's going to be more information in the program and on the website in the weeks coming. We'll show you some videos. There is a cost for the class. Um, it's $250 for the entire year and a $50 registration fee. And then if you do it with family members, there's a price reduction. So it's really cool to go through with spouse and with family. But that's all I have to announce for you this morning. Um, After the message, we'll be receiving the offering. There's several different ways you can give. There's two giving baskets on the back wall. There's also going to be baskets that will be passed down the aisle. You can give through the app. Uh, That's what I do. I just have a recurring donation set on the app. That's what my wife and I do, I should say. And there's also envelopes in the seats in front of you that you can fill out and kind of designate uh, your gift and, and uh, make sure that it's registered for you, so for tax purposes. So that's all I got. Was that a mouthful? You guys all still with me? Okay. This morning, we have a really awesome uh, person preaching. He's actually the youth pastor here at the church. His name's Jordan. And we hired Jordan in May of 2017. And since then, the youth group, just so much, so many amazing things have been happening in the youth group. And uh, it's just really a privilege to have somebody of Jordan's caliber leading the youth ministry. I really love that uh, the thing that has driven Jordan into being a youth pastor is that his life personally was transformed in his youth groups and through his youth pastors. So you guys can be confident that there's somebody down there loving on your teens with a real heart and a real testimony um, to bring life, the, to bring the life of Jesus into their life like he has experienced. One other really important thing is Jordan's married. Him and his wife have been married for a little bit over a year. If you've never met Holly, um, I'm sure she'll be in here second service, but she's somebody whose autograph you want to get. Trust me, okay? But at this point, you guys just want to stand up and welcome Jordan up to the stage. Thank you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. All right. Well, like Wilson said, my name is Jordan. I'm the youth pastor. Did anyone else get a little concerned when they heard the youth pastor was preaching this morning? A few of you. You might be a little bit more concerned now that you found out this is actually my first time preaching to adults on a Sunday morning. So it should be fun for all of us. Here we go. Uh, Like Wilson said, I'm married. My wife's name's Holly. Um, she is a better youth pastor than I am, for sure, and definitely a person you want to get her autograph, like Wilson said. Uh, we've been married just over a year, and we've actually been attending this church for about two years. Uh, it'll be two years next month, and that's something that I really love about working here, is that a lot of times, especially in youth ministry, you don't really get to, you just go where there's a job, you don't go where you actually really want to be, um, but it was so cool that Holly and I were actually just members of this church not even expecting a job or aware that one was going to come up uh, when we started coming here. So it's, uh, it's an honor to be here, and I, I love working here. We've got an amazing staff, uh, fantastic students I get to serve, um, some really, really great uh, people here, and I, I just love being here. So thank you guys for having me. Um, so if you are into following along in your Bible, you can open, scroll, swipe, flip, whatever you do um, to get to Matthew 6. If it affects the translation you pick in your, uh, in your app, we're going to be in the ESV. Uh, it'll also be on the screen behind me when we get there, but we're not getting there yet. So I figured I'd give you some time if you're like me and you have to use the table of contents to uh, find Matthew. Um, I cheated today and had a bookmark, so I knew where we were going. But let's pray really quick. <sighs> Jesus, thank you so much for just a wonderful church. Thank you that, that you're going to speak this morning and that you're here We love you. We're ready for what you have for us. Amen. 
You know what's scarier than preaching for the first time on a Sunday morning? Getting the freedom to pick your own passage that you're going to preach on a Sunday morning for the first time. This is a big book with a lot of stuff in it. And I was given a lot of freedom because we just ended a series and he's like, yeah, just preach on whatever you want. So as I was preparing, I was thinking, what are the worst things to preach about your first time? And I came up with a pretty good list, but kind of the, the, maybe the big three that I thought, let's just stay away from probably sex, money, and most of the Old Testament, and we should be good to go. <laughs> but then, funny enough, I legitimately thought of that, and as I was preparing, realized that all three of those make at least a cameo in this message. So, we'll see. <laughs> um, so, as you can see behind me, uh, the message today is called, He Provides. Um, I wasn't creative enough to come up with that. Uh, one of the guys on staff helped me come up with that. But, but that's really what this message is about, is that God provides, and that he's going to come through. He, he wants to, and he has the ability to, he has all the resources he needs, and he will provide for us. And the, the passage I picked in Matthew 6, it's one of my favorites. I find it to be encouraging, challenging scary. Um, And half the time I feel like I'm really living it out and doing it well. And the other half, I just have no idea what I'm doing. Ask my wife, she can verify that. Um, But this passage, it has so much meaning in my life. Uh, This is actually the same passage my dad read um, during my senior year when I was graduating from high school. He read this in front of my whole youth group and it was like the second time in my life I ever saw him cry. So he's bawling his eyes out reading this this passage, so that was cool. And then it's actually the passage that was in that we used for our wedding. Uh, it's not a traditional marriage passage, but we like it that way. And it, the the principle we're going to talk about is kind of what has been the guiding force in in Holly and my relationship um, while we were dating, engaged, and even today uh, while we're married. And we've seen God come through with provision time and time again. So. That's, uh, that's why I picked it. You guys ready? Is this exciting? Have I built it up enough? You guys awake? A few of you? I heard the real Christians come to the 930 service because you have to get up so early. Is that true? <laughs> Amen. All right. So uh, Matthew 6 is smack dab in the middle of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's pretty famous. It's this big collection of kind of individual, small teachings that all kind of have like the same or a similar point. Um, and it, 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 it's a, a message that Jesus gave towards the beginning of his ministry, and it, it's, it's quite significant. It's actually three chapters long, um, and I would argue that it has some of the most recognizable, some of the most quoted, probably just some of the most famous passages of all time. So that's kind of like a big deal, right? Like in the whole Bible of Famous passages, like some of the big ones come from here. So, and I I bet that you guys even know a few of them. Whether or not you knew that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 were called the Sermon on the Mount, I I bet that you've heard at least one or two of these passages before. Um, So since, after all, I am a youth pastor, uh, I thought it'd be fun to play a game. So, don't worry. You don't have to stand up, talk to people you don't know, or eat anything gross. Um, it's, it's more of a quiz, so I'll, I'm, there is a little participation. Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to read five different passages, and after each one, I'm going to ask you if you think it's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you think it's in the Sermon on the Mount, you raise your hand. Or if you just think it's somewhere else in the Bible. If you think it's somewhere else in the Bible, raise your hand. All right? We good? Yes. Great. Okay. What? No. Well, if you can, if you can swipe quick enough, Sure. All right, here we go. You guys ready? All right. And they'll be on the screen behind me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Who thinks that's the Sermon on the Mount? Who thinks it's somewhere else in the Bible? All right, look at this. We got some Bible scholars. Good job, Van. You've, you've raised up a... So what, what, what's the answer? No! It's actually in Jeremiah. Who knew that? Who knew it was Jeremiah. Good job. All right. I knew it was the Christians in the first service. Some of you thought I'd put an easy one in the first one. 
It was pretty easy. Here we go. Second one. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Turn the other cheek. We've heard that one before, right? Sermon on the Mount. Anybody? Sounds a little sermony. Somewhere else in the Bible? A few brave souls. All right. Well, thank you for your bravery, but you're actually wrong. Um, That is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, uh, 38 through 39. Turn the other cheek. I'm sure when you were younger and you were hitting your brother or sister in the face, your parents had to, had to share that one. Uh, next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Sermon on the Mount? Okay. Somewhere else in the Bible. Yes, it is somewhere else in the Bible. Famous verse, not in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, next one, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, right? Probably the next thing your mom said when you and your siblings were fighting. Um, Sermon on the Mount? Somewhere else in the Bible? Anyone else just looking at their significant other to see what they're saying? That is the, uh, that is the Sermon on the Mount. Good job, guys. Last one, one more. Okay, you guys, anybody have them all right? I think a lot of you have, like, all of them right. Wilson, you don't count. You get paid to read the Bible, man. Um, Last one. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule. We definitely know that one, right? Sermon on the Mount? Somewhere else? Oh, I got you guys. That one is in the Sermon on the Mount. All right. Anybody get them all right? Good job. If this were, uh, if we were in the basement right now, you'd all get a prize. But this is adult ministry, and it's boring. Um, so, did you guys recognize a lot of those passages, though? Like, whether you knew they were in the Sermon on the Mount or not, you turn the other cheek, love your enemy, um, golden rule, right? And, and in fact, um, when I was writing this, there were like nine or ten passages. But it was like we have to cut this out. Adults don't like games. Um, so, but like some, like anybody ever heard of like light on a hill, like you're sitting on a hill, all that, the Lord's prayer, our father who's in heaven, those are all Sermon on the Mount things. Really significant passages have come out of these three chapters uh, of Jesus preaching. And, And the reason that this section of scripture is so significant, at least in part, is because Jesus is reframing the way humans understand who God is. He's he's taking the Jewish perception of what they've understood to be God for generations and kind of turning it upside down. Um, Jesus is showing in these passages that God is not interested in actions done out of obligation, but he's, he's more into what's going on in your heart and what flows out of that. That's like a really, really big deal. Um, For instance, when he says things like, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say if you hate somebody, you're just as bad, right? Hating somebody and murdering someone doesn't seem like that big a deal, but Jesus is saying, I care about what's going on on the inside, not about what you're doing uh, in some senses. Another one, the law says no adultery. Here's the sex cameo, by the way. Uh, but lustfully thinking about someone else is, is basically doing the same thing. Like that, that's, a, that's a heart issue, not an external problem. It's, it's what's going on on the inside, not the front that we put up in front of God and our friends and, and all this stuff. Um, and then, at the start of chapter 6, we're getting there, uh, he discusses a few kind of like actions, like giving to people, prayer, that's where the Lord's Prayer is, fasting, then he briefly, kind of the, the section that, he, that begins where we're going, uh, he talks about storing up treasure on earth for storing up treasure on heaven. I would encourage you just to go back and reread or read for the first time this entire three-chapter chunk because it, it's just so good and it'll take you forever, but it's worth it. Um, or it'll take you quick if you're, it'll be quick if you're a fast reader. Um, but anyway, he goes on... Uh, to start this, he goes into this teaching uh, that I guarantee is relevant to all of us. He, he starts to talk about the Lord providing. So here we go. You guys ready? We're in, starting in verse 24. I got to level with you. It's 10 verses long. 
Um, But we can do this. Stick with me. It'll be worth it. Here we go. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. We're almost there, guys. Just a few more verses. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Whew, we should just call it there, right? That's, that's a lot of reading. But we did it. We survived 10 verses together. I feel like we've really just gone through something together. Um, But I I find this passage to be so relevant, so shocking, because it's not just some of our Bibles and the headings. It probably just says Jesus is warning against money and possessions or something like that. Um, But really, when you look at it, he's talking about a little bit more than just having things. He's talking about, like, the essentials for life. Like, without food, water, clothing— and some amount of money, you're probably not going to get very far um, in our society, right? Right. Thank you. He's talking about our ability to actually live. And I think that this is what he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and, um, and his righteousness and all of this will be added to you. That, this is like one of those like crazy radical statements that takes the gospel from just being a nice story to being reality. Like, he's saying... Your faith has to be real. Like, step into this. Like, pursue God before you pursue the things that you worry about. Like, silly things like food and water. So now, I really want to focus on verse 33, but first I want to hit a couple highlights on the way there and and, uh, just kind of what leads us into that big, crazy statement. So in verse 24... I think there's a slide for that one that'll come up. But in verse 24, just to recap, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I think it's really easy to look at this passage, this specific verse, and say, oh, it's putting God against money. Is money bad then? God equals good. Money must be bad. We can't, like, we can't have it. How much are we allowed to have? Are we allowed to have any of it? I don't know how far your thinking goes um, there, but I don't think this this verse is actually talking about having money or even obtaining it or how much you can have or whatever. Um, I I will let you, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can Google with the best of them. Um, And my understanding from studying this passage this week is that this word for money that he uses in the original Greek language, because the Bible wasn't written in English, shocker, um, isn't just your typical everyday word for money. Like this isn't just like, like this isn't just like the cat. Like oh, money. Like there, there's a different word for it. He's using this word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it means uh, something more along the lines of like money as an idol or as a thing to be worshipped. Um, it almost like as if it's talking about a different religion, like where we worship God. He's saying you can't worship God and you. And you can't worship money at the same time. It's not a comment on about how wealthy you're allowed to be, but about but a heart check for where your provision comes from. Thank you. And, and this statement, this idea, kind of propels us into the last nine verses of the chapter. And Jesus is making the case that to serve God, we need to do away with anxious thoughts um, about how we're going to get by, or how we're going to survive. Some translations even just say worry 
Um, interesting thing, the word anxious shows up six times in these last nine verses that we're about to go through. So I think that clues us into maybe a theme that Jesus is getting at. You guys agree? Yes. Cool. It's all right. You guys talk more than middle schoolers do, so good for you. Um, so I think that Jesus realizes that being anxious just kind of feels like a, a normal state of living. Like, who here has ever felt anxious, worried, stressed about anything? A few of us. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, you're preaching next week. Um, I would guess probably all of us at some time or another felt anxious, worried, stressed, so on and so forth. Even about the essentials of life. Where's, I don't know where rent is going to come from this month. Uh, I don't know where our next meal is coming from. Um, but I, I think Jesus is making the case that we don't need to be anxious about these things because, whoa, God is a provider. He has the ability, the means, the resources, and the desire to meet every need that we have in our lives. In, uh, in verse 26, let's, let's look at that one really quick. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? God provides for the birds, but something interesting that I read this week while I was kind of doing some research on this passage, one commentator said, God provides for the, ver- for the birds, but you also don't see the birds standing there like this waiting for God to drop a worm in their mouth, right? Th- this passage isn't advocating laziness. It's advocating for trust in God. I'm no bird expert, and I haven't spent a significant amount of time watching them, but I don't think a bird goes over here and says, oh, there's no worm Guess I'm going to die. Never going to eat again. All the, words, all the worms in the world are gone. He just moves on and finds the next worm, right? Like, birds aren't anxious about where their next meal is coming from. In verse 27, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? There is no value that comes from worry or anxiousness or being stressed out about things. I'll confess, I'm a pretty big worrier. Anybody else there with me? few honest people here. Great. I'm one of those people that play through like just about every scenario in his mind, in my mind, before like something happens. So I definitely envisioned like puking on the stage today, falling off, tripping over my shoe, just like as as bad as it gets, right? Um, I even remember like back in school, if I'd ever get a bad grade, it was only a few short leaps from I got a D on a Spanish test to, well, now I'm never going to get into college. I'll never find a wife. I'm not going to have a job, and I'm going to live at home until I'm 80. Um, And that's kind of what worry does. It just makes us, it makes everything look and feel worse than it actually is. It it causes those scenarios to run through our minds that, that, honestly, they never end up being as bad as we think they'll be. I, I honestly can't think of a time in my life where where worry has actually like anything that I've worried about has actually like come to fruition in the like as to the extent that I've thought of it. Um, and so Jesus makes this case that being anxious and worrying has no value to you, um, and we can see that God provides for the earth and He loves us so much more than the rest of creation. Right when He created the world, He said this is good. Then He created us and said that's very good. So we have a leg up on everybody else, on everything else. Um, So of course he's going to provide for us. And then Jesus kind of wraps it up with these last few crazy lines. Um, Verse 31. As soon as I can find it in my Bible. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Something interesting that I notice in this, in this little section here is that it, it's easy, again, to fall into that mindset like, well, they're saying, don't worry, don't be anxious, God's got it. What it that means we, we can't, like, like we, don't, we don't need to think about these 
Like, we don't need to think about the essentials to life. We don't need to think about the things that we're worrying about. But I, I, again, I don't think this is a commentary on the evils of possessions and money um, because it says God recognizes that we have a need for them. He's just saying, they're not your God, I am. And then he makes that crazy statement in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. That is crazy, right? Like, I think we can agree, hopefully. But I have the microphone if you don't, so it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> That's not true. I care about what you think. Um, but it, it's crazy to think that God is saying, Jesus is saying, don't focus on the essentials for life. Focus on pursuing God. That, that, that makes it real, right? That, that takes it from being a nice story to... This is, this is it. Without the sum of those three things, we can't function in life. Without food, clothing, and money. Probably not doing so hot. Um, but it is just such a radical statement. And something that I feel like God spoke to me while I was preparing this message is that Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done or isn't in his heart to do. Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done or isn't in his heart to do. And I, that goes for this statement, that seek first the kingdom and all of this will be added to you. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, it actually comes right after uh, this other really significant event in Jesus' life called the temptation of Jesus. That's in Matthew chapter 4. I encourage you to go back and read it because I do not have time to go into it today. But something really interesting about this is, so Jesus goes into the desert, he fasts for 40 days, and one of the first things it says is, Jesus was really hungry. Go figure, he didn't eat food for 40 days. Thank you, Matthew. Um, But Satan, the enemy of God, comes to Jesus and says, you're hungry. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Um, And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And then Satan takes him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, and he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off, and the angels will catch you. They won't let you strike your foot on a stone. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And then Satan takes him to the top of this mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you just worship me, I will give you authority over every kingdom on earth. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he tells Satan to go away, and he does. And it... It's interesting because some of the things that that Satan is attacking here, some of the things that he's bringing up are some of the same things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. He he attacks his need for provision. He attacks maybe the desire for wealth and power when when he asks him about the kingdom. When he says, if you bow before me, I'll give you the kingdom. And when Jesus says no, give you the kingdoms of the world. When Jesus says no, he's seeking the kingdom of God. Because the enemy is trying to derail Jesus' mission from God. Jesus is on track following God's will, seeking his kingdom, building his kingdom. And Satan says, hey, here's maybe a different way to do it. Here's maybe a shortcut. And something interesting that I noticed is that Satan offers him all authority over the entire, like every kingdom on earth. But when Jesus says no seeks God's kingdom, he actually gets authority over heaven and earth. So seeking after God's will, following his plan, seeking his kingdom, isn't always the easiest route, but it is always better. And so when Jesus says, seek the kingdom first, he isn't just saying it because it sounds nice, because it's a shocking statement. He's saying it out of the overflow of experience. He's actually lived this principle of seeking the kingdom first, and he continues to live that through his entire ministry um, on earth. A couple months ago, my wife and I were listening to a message from a church in Colorado on the same section in Matthew 6, and the pastor summed up these 10 verses by saying this. He says, we are faced with two options, building our kingdom or building God's. It's like, whoa, that's pretty good. Um, and just really quick, to, to ba- just to kind of put a simple definition to kingdom, um, when we're talking about God's kingdom, it, we say it's the place where God is in charge. Where, where, where God is ruling, where he is the king, that is God's kingdom. So, 
on the opposite end, wherever we're ruling in our life, that's, that's our kingdom. And so that's what this preacher says, is we can either build our kingdom or we can build God's. And I, I think that we can actually take that a step further. I'd say Jesus is giving us two options, either to live in worry about our kingdom or to live in peace about God's kingdom. Doesn't that sound nice? Who, who would like to just never worry ever again? Amen. When we worry, we're actually putting the weight and the pressure of our own provision, like, all on ourselves. When, when Jesus is actually saying there is provision in the kingdom of God. Um, and, and, and when we put that worry, when we worry and we're anxious and we, we're worried about our own provision, it actually steals our focus from what God might actually be doing in that moment. About six months ago, seven months ago now, oh my gosh, can you believe 2018 is almost over? Uh, At the beginning of this year, my wife and I took this class called Financial Peace University. Anybody ever taken that class before at our church? It's a great, great class. Um, And kind of the way, it it basically teaches you how to manage your finances um, in a godly way. And one of the first things you have to do is you have to pay off all of your debt and you have to save up what's called an emergency fund. Um, and kind of the full extent of the emergency fund is, uh, is, is like three to six months of what you need to survive. Um, and so uh, around May, May or June, Holly and I finally finished all those steps. So we, we'd paid off our debt and we'd saved up three to six months of expenses. And we were like so excited because that's when like the fun part of the class starts. Like at first you're just like, why did I spend money on this, and now I have to pay for it now, and I have to save up all this stuff. But now you're like, you have freedom to kind of start thinking about your future and to start thinking about your, your kid's future and what you want your life to look like. Uh, it, it's super cool, super freeing. And, uh, but anyway, we, we've finally done this, and so we're in the first month of having extra money where we can start thinking about what we want to do next. So we kind of Three things were our main focus. We want to save up for a house. We want to save up for a car. And we start planning our retirement. Putting into an IRA and things like that. And so this was like really exciting because we're like, wow, we've never like actually thought this far in the future before. And this is like so cool to be like saving up for, for like five years from now and 10 years and 40 years. And so it was just this really cool moment. And right around that same time, um, that's when we listened to that message uh, from the church in Colorado. But also, Wilson was going on a mission trip, and he sent out these letters to, to kind of tell people that, hey, I'm going on a mission trip, and I'm, I'm fundraising for it. And, and Holly and I read this letter together, and we're like, you know what? I think we should give to Wilson. Like, let's do it. And uh, just about a couple months before that, there had been a guy that came and spoke at a conference here named Jim Baker, and he talked about this thing that he and his wife do, when it comes to giving money, is they each think of a number, and whoever has the highest number is what they give. Pretty simple. And so we're like, all right, let's do that. Let's do that. And so we both take a second, we think of a number. I was thinking like, man, I am such a good Christian. Let's give Wilson $100. Holly (laughs) said, let's give Wilson $400. I said, are you serious? Where are we going to get $400 from? And she said, it's just like $50 a month and we'll pay it off in eight months or whatever. I was like, no, Holly, this July, not next July. She said, oh, maybe we should just give him $100. Um, but we, we, we kind of left the conversation there and we're like, you know, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll, we'll pray about it, right? And the next morning... I was, uh, I went to the gym, and I was driving home, and I was thinking, like, man, $400, that's kind of a lot. Like, six months ago, $400 sounded like a lot, (laughs) and it still does. Um, But, like, it just wasn't in our realm of ability six months before that. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, but this is our first month to start building our retirement fund. This is our first month to to like start putting money towards our house and our, our future car. And like, what about, we want to have kids soon. So we need to start thinking about that. And, and all these things are running through my head and I'm, I'm driving. And God said, 
Jordan, build my kingdom first. I was like, oh, God. And he said, it's great that you're thinking about all of these things. You've done so well with your money. But like, your retirement will be there next month. Someday you'll have a house, you'll get a car, whatever, but, but build my kingdom first. <sighs> so I went home, and I walked in the door, and I told Holly, and we're both sitting there like at our, our kitchen table for breakfast, just like kind of tearing up, getting real misty, you know. And she's like, well, get the checkbook. And so we, <laughs> we, we wrote like one of the biggest checks um, of my life, and, uh, and we decided to do that, and we were super excited, and it was, it was so cool to, like, have this opportunity to actually, like, pour into what God was doing somewhere else, and having, like, we weren't limited by, oh, but we have this bill to pay off, and our credit card, whatever's due, and, and all, and we, we had this money that we could just say, here you go, and it, it was so exciting, and, and that was great, but if that wasn't enough, that same day, we actually found out that there was um, this like unexpected increase in our income that more than covered it. That was just in crazy. And this, I mean, that, that's like a cool story. It's like probably the most recent story, but this has just been like time and time again. Every time we've chosen God's way, God's plan over that, he's just shown up with more than we expected. Um, and... You know, seeking the kingdom, it didn't just start by, like, that morning when we decided to give. Like, this had, this had become a lifestyle for us. It started when we, de- when we decided to follow God's call in our lives, no matter what the income looks like. I'm a pastor, and Holly's a social worker. So, we're never going to be rich. Um, and, 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 and it started when we decided to take control of our finances, and, and, and seek after what God was doing with our money and not letting it control us. Um, and, and, and more than just money has been added. Like it wasn't just, oh, you get this extra like little blip um, in your income. Because the, in the end of our lives, it's literally going to make next to zero difference in where we're at because um, we all end up in the, in the ground at some point. Um, but there, there, there's been so much joy that we've had in our lives, in our marriage, because of, of pursuing God's kingdom. There's, there's been new intimacy, new times of closeness between my wife and I, and, and between us and God, and like the way our relationship between the three of us is just built. And it, it's not just once, but often, that like just more provision than we've ever expected just came from pursuing what God was doing rather than what we were worrying about. As you pursue the kingdom, provision comes naturally. Again, not a Greek scholar by any means, but for this one, I did some Googling and some phone calling. Um, Something interesting I saw when when it says, um, and all of this will be added to you in verse 33. It's not a first you do this and then you'll get it. It's like, as you do this, provision is there. It's not like a paycheck where, you know, you, you work and then at the end of your pay cycle you get paid for the work you did, right? Like, when we work, our bank accounts aren't constantly ticking up with, like, penny by penny, dime by dime, quarter by quarter. Um, that's not, like, you get paid for the work that you did. What this is saying is that in the kingdom there is provision. So as you step into the kingdom, there is provision. It, it, it's, it's like a law. It, um, in, in God's rule and reign, there is no sickness, there's no pain, there's no need. So God's kingdom is that provision that we need. Um, we talk about healing a lot around here. We talked about healing rooms just a little bit ago. When, when someone needs healing, let's say you have a knee problem, and we pray for healing and the knee gets healed, the kingdom of God has come and God is ruling in that knee. There is no more need for provision. Like the kingdom of God was the provision, right? You guys following me? You sticking with me here? Makes sense? God knows that you already need those things and they are found in pursuit of him and his will, in his way, period. 
So I wanted to end with just a couple application things. I had this water this whole time. Why didn't you guys remind me? Up here, my mouth is getting dry, and you guys are just letting me go. Anyway, application. What is it? How do you seek the kingdom? I came up with two words. Listen and act. Boom. There's listen. What is God saying to you? Whether it's him speaking to you while you're driving home from the gym, whether it's like through your quiet time reading the Bible and prayer, whether it's in worship, what is he saying to you through your wife, through your brothers and sisters, through your church? What's he saying through the the people that have influence in your life that know you the best? Like, is there something that keeps coming up? For instance, if when Wilson was talking about Sockham today, and you're like, hmm, I think maybe I should do that. Maybe you should do it. So listen. Look for what he's doing. And then maybe, I think a lot of times we're like, okay, well, I'm faced with this big decision, and God hasn't said anything. And I, I've prayed, and I've fasted, and I've worshipped, and I haven't missed a week of church except for that one time I was on vacation, and, and all of this, like, really good stuff. Guys, that was funny. Um, but, but God just isn't speaking. Then I, I, I think what we do then is, is we look at God's character. Who do we know God to be? What do we know to be true about him? And wh- which of these two options, three, however many options, which one seems like this is what God would do? And if they all seem like God, something God would do, maybe he's saying, I trust you enough to make the decision. Hmm. And finally, act. I don't have a long thing about that. Just do it. Like, God tells you to do something. Do it. Got a Nike ad going on up here. Just do it. And then finally, I want to leave you with this. What do you do when either you're in the middle of acting and, and you kind of start to doubt or that worry rise up, rises up or, or if you haven't acted yet and you're like, I, I feel like I'm kind of in that worry, anxiousness zone. I think all of us have been there at some time or another. Here are the three things that I want to say about that. Remember, look, and trust. Remember what God has done. He's given us this whole book full of things that he's done for people of different races, different classes, whatever. Like he he has come through time and time again throughout history. Remember what he's done. What has he done in your life? Why are you sitting in this room right now? What has he saved you from? What has he pulled you through? What has he gotten you through? Then look. Look for what he's doing. Have you ever like felt like, oh, I'm in the middle of this and everything looks really bad, but then really if you just step back, you realize, oh, something really good is happening here? I was thinking about college. Like, How many times was I in the middle of writing like a 12-page paper that I procrastinated on and didn't want to finish? And I was like, college is the worst. I never want to do this again. I'm just done. This is it. Forget it. But then in those times, if I'd really like look back and be like, okay, this isn't so bad. 12 hours away from turning this in. If I get a D, whatever. Ds get degrees, right? Um, but, but, but look around for what God is doing. Because even, even though it might seem hard, it might seem like one of the hardest seasons of your life, I bet he's at work. And I bet you can see something he's doing. This is a great place where you're at right now to see what God's doing. Just talk to someone sitting next to you. What's God doing in your life? Get encouragement from that. And then finally, trust what he's promised to do. He is faithful to every promise that he's ever made. He's made you plenty of promises in here. We just read about one. Seek first my kingdom, and all of this will be added to you. He has promised you provision if you pursue him. Trust what he's promised to do. Hang on to that prophetic word that you got up front when they, were, when they were praying for you. And if you're like, I want a prophetic word, come get prayer uh, when the prayer team comes up in a little bit. And, and, and hang on to those promises that God's given you. I think the, what helps me the most when kind of that worry rises up is I, I, I lean into the remember. Because God has done just crazy, crazy things in my life and around my life that I, that I just need to remember. And, and that pulls me out of that worry. Like, God has come through time and time again, and he's not changing. 
So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue worshiping through offering. Uh, So ushers, if you guys want to be sneaky and come forward while I'm praying, you can do that. Jesus, thank you so much for just these amazing people in this room and, and everything that you're doing. Would you just reveal to us what you're doing right now? Would you reveal to us the, the next step in seeking your kingdom? Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you while we, while we worship you, as we continue to worship you. Would, you. would you just be with us and bless this time that we have together? Praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're on the lefternmost side of your row, grab your basket and pass it down. Thank you guys so much. You guys are more than welcome to come up front if you like. Um, there's space up here to worship, or if you want a little more space, you can go to the back and dance around and just be comfortable and free. teams, if you guys want to come up, let's do that. I felt like God spoke a little bit um, while I was over there worshiping. And it, I felt like he said, pursuit and seeking the kingdom of God, it takes faith. And so if you're a person in here that just something connected with you today and, and, and you want your worry to be swapped with faith, I, you should come up and get prayer today. Don't leave without getting prayed for. And I, I feel like God has just issued a a challenge to us. I feel like he said, pursue me and watch me provide. That everything that we need is in him. So I'm going to pray. Prayer teams come up. You guys come up, get prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your kingdom. Thank you that you are a king that can provide that will provide, that wants to provide. And we trust you with that. Amen. All right, if you want prayer, come up. If not, have a great week.